Good evening and welcome to the fourth annual Geek-Centric Academy Awards preview show, emanating live from Geek-Centric Studios across Canada. Tonight, we'll be examining some of the biggest and most prestigious categories from the 95th Academy Awards, giving our thoughts and predictions regarding some of our favorite nominees. And now, on with the show. What's up, geeks? My name is Kev. If you're joining us for the first time, we are Geekcentric, a podcast celebrating the world of movies, television, gaming, toys and collectibles, and all things Geekcentric. And that's right, it's already that time of the year again where we take a look at all things Oscar-centric like only Geekcentric can. As is always the case, I can't host this thing alone, so I think it's time to welcome my handsome and charming co-hosts for the program. It looks like their limo's arriving, so let's welcome them down the red carpet. First, you know he won't be all quiet on any front. In fact, he'll be like a banshee of Inishirin when it comes to discussing the way of water. This Top Gun is a triangle of happiness. It's Nate. Keep my donkey's name out your feckin' mouth! (laughs) (laughs) Alright, I I had a timer to see how long it would take us to reference Will Smith, and it did not take long. Not (laughs) at all. not disappointing. Of course. Uh, And next, when this man is talking, he won't be telling you fables, man. You'll think this king of podcast very much for the way he conducts himself on everything, everywhere, all at once. It's Justin. Hey, I have no witty comments about the slap. Um. <laughs> hey, don't the kids say that this show is going to slap? I think that's that's for sure. This episode today is going to slap uh, really hard. <laughs> it's so great to be back. Uh, I look forward to this every year. Hell, I look forward to trying to introduce you guys using just the best picture noms every year. And so all of this is uh, obviously a lot of fun. Uh, Before the big show kicks off, here's a quick reminder of what we do on the Geek-Centric Oscar preview show. We'll be taking a look at the 13 categories we find the most interesting. We'll predict who wins for each and see who can get uh, the most right when we recap the show next week. Of course, it's a friendly competition, but one that comes with some serious bragging rights for the rest of the year. Nate and I tied for the win last year, and we haven't stopped bugging Justin about it since. Uh, We're also going to give our thoughts on each of the 10 Best Picture noms as we try to guess who wins the most illustrious award in cinema in what is an exceptionally tough year to pick a winner. Or is it? Before, Just before we we, uh, hand out the gold, I've got another prediction really quick just before we get into things. I think that there are going to be at least five uh, severed fingers thrown at uh, Jimmy Kimmel <laughs> over the course of the evening. Uh, that's my prediction. Of course, there's going to be a Will Smith slap joke at some point. It's probably not going to be very good. But please, if you know, by all that is holy, uh, you know, have a good joke in there. Get Brendan Gleeson involved. Uh, I think it would be really, really fun. Um, but that's brilliant. No, I have to, right? I have to stop you, you like for that? a sec. That is brilliant. That would be a fun gag. That would really work. It would it would be the perfect sort of spin on, you know, uh, the whole slap incident, but also, you know, a fun way to pay tribute to the movie. Uh, that's brilliant. I hope they're listening so they can steal that idea. I know. I also think that we'll probably see the donkey show up on stage. No. <laughs> oh, it's going to be that kind of show. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I bet you he's the one that's going to have a slap joke attached to it. The donkey. <laughs> I don't know. Don't slap a donkey. I think the donkey's going to slap someone. <laughs> uh, now, as we get started, I always like to do a little bit of Oscars by the numbers. 
Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once leads the pack with 11 nominations. The film is followed closely by The Banshees of Inisherin and All Quiet on the Western Front, both with nine. Uh, this is also the most calendar-diverse year since 20, uh, 2009, I should say, when it comes to Best Picture nominations, as the 10 best picks were spread out over six different months, and their releases ranged from March to December. Last year, as is often the case, eight of the 10 nominees opened in just the last two months of the year. Steven Spielberg has now tied William Wyler for directing the most Best Picture nominees at 13. Uh, this is the first time in 86 years that 16 different performers were nominated for their first acting Oscars. Uh, in fact, all five Best Actor nominees are first-timers, whereas last year, zero were first-timers in the same category. Mandy Walker is just the third female nominated for Cinematography with uh, her nod for Elvis, Will She Be the First Ever Female Winner? And finally, John Williams receives his 53rd nomination, putting him just six behind the record of 59 set by Walt Disney. Will John Williams actually retire, as he's alluded to, or will he keep himself in the game just to challenge Walt for the distinction of most nominations ever? Only time will tell. It's now time to hand out our first shiny gold statuette. For actress in a supporting role, the nominees are Angela Bassett, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow, The Whale, Carrie Condon, The Banshees of Inisherin, Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Stephanie Hsu, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Gentlemen, what do we think of the category? Who do we think is taking it home? I'm going to go uh, just out right away and just Angela Bassett. I mean, we, we, we said this since... The, the moment we did our, our spoiler-free review, we did a spoiler-filled where we said it again. Uh, and I'm saying it again here. Angela Bassett, for her performance in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, was incredible. Um, I do want to say Hong Chao in The Whale was also incredibly riveting in the way that she was able to portray her character of Liz. But, um, but no, I think I'm, I'm absolutely going to lock it in with Angela Bassett on my side. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Angela Bassett is, is going to win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Um, you know, she gave a career performance as Queen Ramonda in Wakanda Forever. And you're absolutely right, Nate. When we were talking about this in our spoiler-free review, we were saying she's going to get nominated. So I'm so happy to see her on this list. She deserves to be here. She gave such a real, authentic performance that was you know, rooted in grief and as she mourned for her friend and on-screen son, Chadwick Boseman. And that, I think that elevated her performance because it came from a real place in her heart. Um, I think the only person that can challenge her is probably Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once as she recently won the SAG Award. Mm. Um, but yeah, Stephanie Hsu should be here. Hong Chow should be here. This category is stacked, but my money's on Angela Bassett for Wakanda Forever. Yeah, this one's such a toss-up. And, and like you guys said, Angela Bassett is, is so deserving, not just of the nomination, but of of the win itself her performance was the powerhouse performance in this category amongst some really terrific performances but you know I like to play the game I like to I like to dive deep and and I do think that uh, the the current trend in the awards uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis winning several uh, most recently I'm giving the edge to her uh, but I think I think this could be um, uh, my first misstep of many uh, as we go through some of these categories. Uh, so I like I like the uh, the start we're off to. Uh, it's now time to move into our first look at a Best Picture nomination. I would just like to say, folks, get ready for some name mispronunciations, especially in the producer roles here. From producers Malt Grunert, Daniel Dreyfus, and Edward Berger, 
All Quiet on the Western Front is a psychological anti-war film that tells the tale of idealistic young German soldier Paul Balmer during World War I, who's quickly exposed to the horrific realities of war, shattering his early hopes of becoming a hero as he does his best to survive. Um, you know, we had a we had a pretty big war film um, just a few years ago in 1917, and uh, this this resonated uh, much like that film did with me in its anti-war sentiment and its just amazing portrayal of the horrors of war. I I almost felt this one more in some ways. Just it maybe it was the gritty gore and and violence, but this this had me just on the edge of my seat in horror watching what these these young yeah. men uh, went through. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, a in in a again in a very dark way but in a in a sad way it it almost feels like a a call and response between these two movies of 1917 and and then this remake that we've gotten. Uh I think it's 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 a it's a fantastically uh, shot film. Um I I was I was really um it's really captivating, like the way that we see these kids and just how excited they are to go off to war as if they've like won the lottery for some reason. And just all the things that are instilled in their heads uh, and, and to sort of see Paul and his his journey throughout and uh, and the people that he interacts with and the relationships that he makes and loses. Um, and there's there's one scene that I really want to quickly call out that I just thought was really, really impactful. And it's the way that they shoot the this moment where... Um, they're collecting clothes and boots and things off of all the dead soldiers and then throwing them into these bags into the back of a truck. And to me, I was just like, that's exactly what they're doing with these these kids. And it just shows the endless cycle of violence and war. And absolutely, it was it was a movie that that I again, I, I argued to Justin off air about, I'm like, why the frick do all these movies have to be so damn long uh, with all these best pictures? Um, but this was one where I actually didn't really feel the length. I was captivated the entire way through. Yeah, I, I feel like this is, you know, this was a good movie for sure. It's it's an epic war movie um, that is an exploration into the sort of emotional, psychological and, and physical tolls that war can have on soldiers. Um, and, you know, I think the, the most important thing to remember about it, and it's a great, uh, a great call out to say that, you know, 1917, you know, very much did this already. And it feels very similar. But the main difference here is that, you know, 1917 is, is a Hollywood movie. It's produced by the Hollywood studios. All Quiet on the Western Front, this is a European movie mm -hmm. uh, that is being recognized and acknowledged uh, as best picture. So it's an international film. And I think that perspective alone allows them to lean in more to the, the, the true horrors of war because it has, it has affected Europe on multiple levels. I think that's safe to say that there's, there's generational, uh, families that grew up in war in Europe and, um, you know, have been, stories have been passed on and stuff. And it's a different perspective than some Hollywood movies uh, tend to j deliver. But this is an epic war movie that really does dive into the psychological, emotional and physical effects that the war has on its soldiers that's captured in sound and, and visuals. And again, like you were mentioning, the horror and the, the gore that, that, that is captured in this movie is it's intense. Well, and I think even just, you know, comparing it to 1917 again, we're seeing those movies from each different perspective here, you know, the good guys and, in this case, the bad guys. And you realize that 
while these men were off doing what they thought was right and 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 fighting for for truly awful people for truly awful reasons they they they're the victims themselves and mm-hmm. and and the and they were on both sides of the the battlefield and it's just you know anytime you get hit with the numbers that you get hit with at the end about the the number of lives lost and and the number of soldiers and and everything it's just so tragic and amazing to think how lucky we are to have been born when we were to not have been drafted into a situation like that or to have to face anything like that in our lives. Absolutely. And I mean, the, I think the the majority of the awful people were the people that never once set foot on the battlefield, right? Those were the majority of the, the evil on both sides uh, that create that war. Um, I did want to shout out Daniel Bruhl as well. Uh, Baron Zemo is in the movie. Uh, and I really enjoyed his character as well and, and kind of what he was pushing for. Um, throughout the film. So yeah, really good stuff. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move right into our next category. This is for actor in a supporting role. For the Banshees of Inshirin, Brendan Gleeson. Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans. Barry Keegan for the Banshees of Inishirin. And Ki Hui Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, I think no doubt for this one, Key has got it in the bag. Um... He has been in on the an fanny pack tour. He's got it in the, in fanny, the fanny pack. pack. Just, there, you go. there you go. There you go. There you go. I missed. I missed the joke. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think he he's had an award tour that where he's just been cleaning up. Uh, each speech that he gives is more emotional. So I look forward to seeing him on stage. But you know, much like Angela Bassett in Wakanda Forever, you know, Key stands out as one of the memorable parts of this movie for his portrayal of a, as a father, a husband, an action hero, you know, even just a, a mystery man and, and, you know, playing variations across a multiversal story. He just, he does it so well to make each of them feel um, so different. And this is his comeback story. Like this is his whole comeback. And I really, I, I would love to see it. So I, I might be going with my, with my heart, but Kihei Kwan is going to win the Oscar for best actor in a supporting role. For everything everywhere all at once for sure yeah i mean short round or data from the goonies put some chapstick on and became this incredible uh actor uh and and rightfully so is is getting nominated here um i i, I do think you know i think uh, brendan gleason uh was the the best part of banshees of any sharon uh barry Kilgan is very um gives a very uh intriguing performance um in that movie as well um but i I will say ki hui kwan uh is going to win for everything everywhere all at once not only because i want him to um but just he it has to happen he deserves it it, he deserves it yeah yeah it really is probably the nicest story going into the entire awards show uh and i mean you mentioned the two gentlemen from uh, Banshees, uh, who I thought both had great performances in different regards. Even Judd Hirsch makes the absolute most of his incredibly limited screen time. I mean, anytime you can get nominated for being in something for like five minutes, it's just a testament to how captivating you are on screen. But mm-hmm. no, I think if Jamie Lee Curtis didn't already signal a, a trend tonight, I think uh, Kihi Kwan winning is is just, it's just getting the E-E-A-A-O train a rolling here. <laughs> I think that's a uh, around the board for uh, Mr. Kwan here. And uh, we wish him the best of luck on Sunday. All right, let's move into our next nominee for Best Picture. 
From producers James Cameron and John Landau, Avatar The Way of Water returns us to Pandora 15 years later to continue the story of Jake Sully, who, with his family, must retreat from a familiar threat while forming bonds with a new group of Navi warriors. And uh, I'll just lead off here. Uh, I was uh, a little late to the Avatar party. Uh, I didn't see this one for a couple weeks. Uh, what made that nice was that I was able to find an IMAX theater with almost nobody in it. So uh, I got uh, the room in a theater that I, I always enjoy. But uh, what else? I was, I was, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It was, it felt like a lot of the same here, but there was enough different, uh, specifically the performance of Sigourney Weaver, who I really found captivating and uh, I found her character just really, really engaging throughout. Uh, it gives me hope that. There might be a point to Cameron continuing on with these movies if he can just tell us a different story next time. That's what really held this one back for me. Obviously, uh, I'm sure the the visuals will get talked about a lot throughout the show and and rewarded as such. But uh, yeah, it 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 served a purpose. But uh, you know, I'm not sure it quite. It was a tough bar to reach the original, and I'm not quite sure they did it here. Kevin, I'm going to forgive you for being. Uh avatardy to the avatar party uh but i, oh, I can't s- believe i missed that <laughs> i will say um <laughs> uh I, I i definitely agree with you i think i think the the biggest thing with this movie is is where the the story sort of falters um I, it's definitely better than avatar one i don't know if that is saying uh, a lot um it, yeah. it it's in my opinion it really had a, a rough go with with kind of a villain problem and and really giving an establishing motivations uh for its villain beyond just revenge i think i think they had such a good opportunity to to give us a little bit more um you know in in the sense of of bringing back that character um but it, I just I don't know it felt it fell short for me and I love Stephen Lang we got to interview him uh, he's fantastic but I think they could have done a little bit more there and I think it just it feels very much like a setup movie like the whole movie is just a bunch of setups with not any resolve for a character and no real character arc within the movie so the entire time I'm just sort of like wow this is beautiful but I, I don't know if I really feel as though any of these characters actually went through a full journey if that makes sense it doesn't feel like its own movie it feels like i'm like in the middle of two other movies uh and i I really wish that it did a a better job as a sequel you know let's be real here this movie is clearly in this category for its achievements in the visual effects uh it is the to be celebrated it drew audiences into the theaters to experience it um, so it, it, it is here for that reason, but I totally agree with you. I think that this movie in comparison to the other movies in best picture, its story lacks the most mm-hmm. because there is no story. This movie is built off of the fact of visual effects and I'm going to say it spectacle of, of <laughs> what it is to be in, to be in the theaters. Yeah. And you know, that, that idea of what the theater going experience is, you know, the escapism, the visually immersive images that just are an experience of their own the next level technology and 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 that sort of stuff and that's that's great you've effectively created new technology you're innovating the filmmaking process it's absolutely fantastic but yeah this movie seriously lacked in its narrative composition great performances from from some of the cast but that's given what they were working with in terms of a writing perspective 
I think Sigourney Weaver's character is by far the more, most interesting. And I, I, I do agree with you, Nate. I think the motives of the villain are a little muddled. But I got to say, Stephen Lang was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And everyone else just felt, you know, like they, they really had to act through that performance capture, which translated in, in a lot of instances. But their characters themselves, the way those characters were written, were so hollow. They're just, like you said, like they're just, they're just pieces on a, on a board. That's yeah. essentially it. Do you know what I mean? To to whatever this this overly large story is about. And I while I understand why it is in the category of best picture, I, I don't know if it necessarily deserves to be here. Because there are other films that had a better balance of visual effects with story that did it better this year and probably deserve to be on this best picture list more than Avatar. That said, if this movie is going to get recognition, it's in the visual effects. Well, it's interesting you speak of visual effects because that's our next category. The nominees <laughs> are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Top Gun Maverick. And uh, yeah, I think, I think, are we all in agreement here? <laughs> yeah, well, you know I am. I'm going to go with uh, All Quiet on the Wet. No, <laughs> I think Avatar, <laughs> uh, The Way of Water uh, is absolutely going to, to take it. And I think, again, from a standpoint of, of its achievement, I definitely think, especially out of the movies that they have selected here, um, I definitely think it, it deserves yes. to win. Yes. Yeah, yes. 100%. Avatar wins or I'll eat my laptop. Um, oh, and <laughs> and I, I am glad to see that unlike, um, um, you know, the first time James Cameron made this movie 15 years ago, it, it didn't just sort of sweep all of the categories and sweep all of the awards. It, it Other than being recognized as best picture, it was recognized where it should be and, you know, might pick up a few pieces of hardware along the way there. But, uh, no, I think this is the safest bet. For sure. And I think that, you know, much like the first time this movie was nominated, no one knew that there was more stories to be told. And, you know, he was nominated for director, but he wasn't nominated this year. And it's like, well, chill. He's He's got more stories to tell. He'll have yeah, his exactly. Chance. Exactly. So it's, you know, it, it, it'll it'll happen yeah. again for it. But right now, visual effects is where this movie is going to to win. Well, Kevin, listen, if 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 Avatar The Way of Water doesn't win for best visual effects, I'll eat your fingers. OK. I'll eat all okay. five of your fingers. Oh, you mean like a certain donkey? <laughs> like a certain donkey. <laughs> well, yeah, that's interesting because that actually sounds like our next next nominee for Best Picture. From producers Graham Broadbent, Pete Zernan, and Martin McDonough, The Banshees of Inishirin is the story of two lifelong friends who find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. This movie was... Uh was good <laughs> yeah i like the accents um i think the performances were 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 great um you know i, I think as i mentioned already brendan gleason i thought was was fantastic i thought colin farrell was fantastic i think carrie condon uh was fantastic um i i, I just i couldn't help but feel like the movie kept poking at themes and ideas but never fully diving into them and especially mm-hmm. for the runtime that it had it you know it, it had the opportunity to dive further into body horror, um, even though it is pretty gross. What happens? I think it had the opportunity to dive further into the horror genre um, with the aspect of the Banshees of Inisherin. Um, I just I just found that it it unfortunately for me I I didn't I I wasn't captivated the entire time. It was just two two blokes uh, fighting, and uh, and I couldn't quite understand a lot of the motivations. Um, you know, for Com Sonny Larry, uh, as they would call him. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Nate. Like, I, th- I don't think it really commits to anything. 
And I think that's that's its weakness. But mm-hmm. it is its strength is its performances, yeah. which is why it's interesting that this movie is in a best in the best pictures category because it is one that should really be celebrated for its performances. Much like Whale, like Whale is being celebrated for its achievements in the performance section. Uh, it's not being recognized as as best picture or even best writing for that matter. So yeah, while not a really great story, and I don't know if it really needs to be in best picture, the performances in this movie are fantastic and rightfully recognized. Well, I mean, I you know now that I've we we've started getting more and more into t- into Twitter, and uh, <laughs> in the past couple of years, uh, I've read a lot of terrible tweets. One terrible tweet that I read was in response to uh, shout out to the Untitled Movie Podcast, uh, Matt and Eric, um, where they uh, they they ended up. Um, I think they did a review for the whale. And uh, I read a response of, of someone saying like, like their, their whole thing was, hey, it was a phenomenal performance. Um, but if you take the performance out of it, they're not sure that the movie would necessarily stick with you. Uh, and somebody was like, performances are the movie. And I'm just like, no, that's one aspect. You have to have a wonderful narrative. And that's exactly kind of how I felt watching this movie the entire time was that I was just like, OK, I, I, I get what they're, they're trying to go for, but I'm, I'm also bored. Uh, and I just wish the movie would would keep up a, a, a better pace. I was ready to go out with Jenny. I'll be honest with you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, for myself personally, when I saw that Martin McDonough, um, Colin Farrell, and Brendan Gleeson were teaming up again, I was through the roof excited. I love In Bruges. Uh, watched that movie several times. This movie, however, I probably wouldn't choose to put on again. Uh, I. I, w- I actually found myself quite surprised at how depressed I was by the end of it. I did not expect it to sort of go down the the winding road of despair that it does. And um, I just, I, yeah, I just think the movie does suffer a little bit of, of not capitalizing on the charm that its performers have and can bring and actually did bring mm-hmm. even through the first half of the movie. I just, I questioned some of the decisions that were made in the storytelling aspects. Um you know the movie itself is 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 pleasant to look at at times it's filmed very interestingly but it never really like you guys said hits any peaks in terms of anything outside of the performances and uh i'm just surprised that i thought okay well this is the most depressing of the 10 best picture noms i'll watch and i don't think it was uh but we will discuss hmm. those later as we go on through the show let's move into our next category this is for cinematography for all quiet on the western front james friend for bardo false chronicle of a handful of truths darius Knoji. Uh, For Elvis, Mandy Walker. For Empire of Light, Roger Deakins. And for Tar, Florian Hoffmeister. Well, uh, I got to say, while I haven't seen everything in this category, I am surprised that we have some films missing specifically for its cinematography. Like the work of Hoyt von Hoytman's Nope. With the way his shots immersed you in this landscape, um, especially in that IMAX format. Or, or someone like Greg Fraser for The Batman, you know, using digital cameras uh, with old manual lenses to give the movie a grungy, dirty look. Um, or, or Top Gun, even, from, from uh, Claudia Miranda. You know, we had some outstanding films this year with great cinematography that feel left out of this category. But... Uh, you know, I won't get into a huge tangent about this because um, there's there's more on the list, in my opinion. 
But yeah, for this category, you know what, guys? I'm going to go with a very unlikely choice. I'm going to go with Tar. Shot really? by Florin Hoffmeister. Wow. I got to say, I, I, I think the cinematography works to enhance the overall story experience from a psychological perspective. Um, I think the use of camera movement and, and knowing when to move the camera and when not to move the camera is really well thought out. There's the use of locked off tripod shots where, you know, there's not much movement in the camera, but the scene is unfolding in front of the camera. It's it's about where things are in focus and where things are out of focus and where people are placed in the background and in the foreground. So there was just a really, really clever use of that while also incorporating some one take camera work, the level of synchronization and choreography that goes into the movement of the camera and the way things, again, are in focus and not in focus. It's really well done. I really do think that this movie, you know, really understands how to use the cinematography to enhance the overall narrative experience. It was both beautiful and haunting and, and, and often in some cases a little surreal. Uh, so there was a little bit of everything there. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't seen everything in this category as I was mentioning. You know, I, I think, you know, seeing Mandy Walker nominated for for this is is great. Uh, I've seen the work of Roger Deakins. I don't know if he's going to win for this one. All Quiet on the Western Front was fantastic as well, and I think that it could be the front runner. But hey, we've already seen War Pictures win in this category. So I'm putting my money on Florin Hoffmeister for Tar for Best Cinematography. Interesting. I, I, uh, I'm i actually going to go with All Quiet on the Western Front. Um which is interesting, too, with, with Deacons on the list. And again, we've already mentioned 1917 and the, the phenomenal way that that movie was, was captured and shot. Uh, but th- there are moments in All Quiet that, again, they, they find a way to... Anytime through cinematography, you can find a way to tell the story. That's where I'm, I'm like, yeah, you got me. You got me in. And there are so many quiet sequences with no dialogue or sometimes not even a character on the screen that work to just completely fill in that 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 void uh and and add so much to it um and and I think it was it, I think it was really well shot I think it was really well lit um and again while I don't think anything on this list will will sort of reach the 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 peaks of of cinematography from past years um I do think that all quiet on the western front was was my pick and I hope it wins uh, you're so right about some of the shots Nate and even just how you know the movie opens with the mountain in the background and you see an explosion go off behind it and then bookends itself and it mm-hmm. is just all quiet now. I'm just beautiful decisions like that. And to make such horrific visuals be so stunningly beautiful at the same time is certainly uh, a skill. This is this is the movie I would pick if I were giving out the award. However, I think uh, <laughs> we're going to get some our first real series of gripes from from viewers with the winner of this, as it's going to be Mandy Walker for Elvis. Oh wow! Uh, I just think the the glitz and glam that that uh, you know, she's able to capture in an otherwise bloated film with some very questionable acting. The fact that she could make any of it look good. Uh, I think is a testament I, <laughs> to her skill, and I think it's going to get rewarded. I'm not saying I want it. I'm just picking it for the points. Sure. Okay. Sure. I I I I I don't I don't disagree with that, and I'm I'm happy that Mandy Walker is nominated uh, to have a female in this category. I think is is absolutely fantastic. It's just that that movie felt more driven by its CGI visual effects than it did its cinematography. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the the personality of the movie is more Boz Norman than it is uh, Mandy Walker. 
Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas I think in in many of the other cases for the cinematography, when you watch a Roger Deakins movie, you get Roger Deakins vibes from it. You you know, you get Hoyt von Hoytman when you watch uh, one of his films, even Craig Frazier. You know, these are cinematographers that have a style that works with filmmakers. I just feel like the visual style of Boz takes away from Mandy Walker's cinematography overall. I would agree with that. I I do think that was an issue that... uh... We'll see if the Academy uh, recognizes that. But I am excited that we finally had our first category where we each had different decisions. It does make the uh, <laughs> the uh, the total at the end of the competition that much more interesting. Uh, but let's move right into our next uh, technical ca- uh, category, which uh, is for film editing. Um, for the Banshees of Inishirin, Michael E.G. Nielsen. For Elvis, Matt Via, and Jonathan Redmond. For Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Paul Rogers. For Tar, Monica Willie, and for Top Gun, Maverick, Eddie Hamilton. Uh, I want to just start off with uh, just mentioning Luc Montpellier for Women Talking. I think that movie was actually edited fantastically. Uh, I think it got snubbed here, unfortunately, and I think it deserves to be on the list over some of these other movies. Uh, But for editing, um, you know... Uh, the amount of awards that this movie is going to take uh, on Sunday night, um, I actually can't count on my hot dog fingered hands. I think it's going to be everything, <laughs> everywhere, all at once uh, for editing. Just I, there are moments in that movie in the way that it's cut specifically that just stick with you. Um, some of the decisions made, the, the decision to sort of cut to a completely you know, silent scene or or the, even just the way that they were able to move so fluidly from moment to moment in that movie uh, really does speak to obviously the, the directing and, and, and some of the writing choices, but absolutely the editing as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think everything everywhere all at once is going to win best film editing because of the way it told a multiversal story through editing. It told a story about a, one person at different points in their life at different universes and interwove those moments in in the climactic to show how they're all connected i think it's 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 masterfully done uh as as a as a means of of telling such a large story with such a a focused theme on on love um and family uh, really at the end of the day and you said it best nate you know a lot of this could be attributed to the writing which i think is very integral but when it comes to the overall editing process the story really does get written in the edit and really comes together and things move around and there's a lot of movies in this category that feature some outstanding editing you know i was talking about tar earlier in the cinematography and i think here in editing it does make sense we can talk about it more when we talk about the the pacing of the movie but overall i think a lot of the psychological undertones really do reveal themselves in the edit they it comes to life in the edit and, and top gun absolutely deserves to be on this list because of the way it weaved together the shots of the jet in the cockpit the tension um you know it had me gripping my seat and you know it had fist bumping moments just the way things were cut together but uh, yeah i guess it could go to either of those but but no I, I gotta go with paul rogers everything everywhere all at once he did such an amazing job with this movie um, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think it took the most difficult story to sort of 
make sense of and and kept it grounded, kept it something that almost felt familiar while being so different. Uh, I think it took a lot of skill and finesse to to work the crazy ideas that we see in that movie to have them come together and to still resonate the major themes that that the story was trying to tell. Uh, I think it was an incredible piece of editing. It's probably it's probably the award I think it it most deserves out of the many 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 that it's going to take home uh, on Sunday night. So another consensus vote for us there. Why don't we move right into our next nominee for best picture? From producers Baz Luhrmann, Catherine Martin, Gail Berman, Patrick McCormick, and Shyler Weiss, Elvis chronicles the life of the American rock and roll singer and actor Elvis Presley under the manipulative management of Colonel Tom Parker. Uh, and gents, why don't why aren't we talking about the greatest robbery of this entire award show, which is clearly Tom Hanks not getting the best supporting actor nom for his incredible portrayal here? I, I uh, okay. I, it, was that serious? Is that sarcasm? Me. Okay, yes. that was sarcasm. <laughs> I was gonna say, Kevin, like he feels like a super villain. Like he's a super villain in that movie, like a comical super villain. It's it's really unfortunate. Um, I I didn't mind. Elvis. I don't know if I'd want to spend another two hours and 40 minutes <laughs> watching that movie again. Um, but it had its quirky charms at times. I think it, it at times it felt like an early 2000s superhero movie, um, you know, especially with the score behind it. I think there were some interesting uh, mashups <laughs> with modern music and Elvis music at the time. Um, but I will say, I think my my favorite moments in that movie uh, had to do with some of the visual effects that were done in the movie. Uh, and while I don't think it should win that category up against Avatar, um, I will say the moment seeing the, the, where they show the legacy footage of, of some of the movies and, and clips of Elvis, and it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, is that Austin? Is that Elvis? That was captivating to me. And, and they, they threw in enough of those <laughs> throughout the runtime of the movie that I was like, okay, I'll stick around. I'll keep watching it. Um, but I, I don't really think this it does. I don't think this de- deserves to be on the, the best pictures list, um, even though I did enjoy it. Uh, I also don't think it's the worst thing on the best pictures list, but we'll get to that. Ooh, fascinating. Uh, just what were your <laughs> thoughts on Elvis? Well, I wasn't a fan of it either. Uh, I actually think that this is my least favorite movie uh, on this this whole list. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not great. I, I think it's bloated. It's it's way too long, and you described it, Nate, as as two thousand superhero vibe. That that's just Boz, man. Has been Boz yeah. Lerman since like fucking Moulin Rouge, man. And it's just it's just been his thing that he's done for the last. Several movies. He, even the way he did Great Gatsby was uh, very similar to how he did Elvis. Super flashy, very over the top. Um, it, it, it was more about the glitz and the glam than it was about anything story driven. It was a visual. It's it's essentially like Avatar: The Way of Water. It's just it was a visual feast of, for your eyes. Um, and I think that Elvis is very much the same. It's very heavy on the visuals, uh, very light on the story. Um, and there, you know, is some questionable performances. Tom Hanks is, I, I just don't even understand how and why he decided to do that role. That is, <laughs> I was, I'm shocked. I was shocked. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I wasn't a fan of this movie. 
how how one of the great actors of all time could make the decisions to it's you've got me thinking about this supervillain thing and it like I'm almost thinking like Sam Jackson in Unbreakable now but <laughs> that worked for that movie right. whereas this did not work here mm-hmm. um and yet it instead of telling the story of Elvis which you know one of the all-time most iconic performers of all time one of the most famous people that has ever lived when when you look at his peak of popularity around the world he was seen by more people than than the biggest celebrities of today are just because of of his legacy and his impact and the the way they changed broadcasting things around the world because of him and instead of telling that story it did very much feel like it was like Boz Lerman telling that story and it's like look at how i would tell this story rather than you know you know exactly. toning it down then a telling little the story and focusing on yeah. the character that we on wanted to see yeah, exactly. told here i i totally yeah. agree yeah i totally agree uh why don't we move into our next uh category i think this is one of nate's favorite of the evening mm-hmm. this is the award for original score for all quiet on the western front volker bertelman for babylon justin jerwitz for the Banshees of Inishirin, Carter Burwell. For Everything Everywhere All at Once, Sun Lux. And for the Fablemans, John Williams. Uh, I'll start this one off here by saying I love John Williams more than any composer. He's probably my all-time favorite just because of the iconic uh, themes and songs. They, they make up my cinematic life. This was not his finest work. I honestly didn't even notice there was a score to this movie as I was watching it. Uh, It was very, very generic. I think, while I couldn't name somebody more deserving to go on the list, I think this was very much a legacy nomination. And that I... At t- when somebody's already got twenty something awards and fifty something nominations, you know, let let somebody new even just get recognized because a nomination can mean so much to people. To just oh, maybe I will watch that movie to, if if it's getting all this recognition or if it if it was nominated. And and I just think it's it's a bit of a wasted opportunity here. Um, that said, uh, a, a soundtrack that absolutely rocked me, or a score I should say, was uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. What Bertelman does here um, with just sounds at times with his he's he's the the instruments are making sounds not music and it's so powerful there's a scene where tanks are rolling in on our on our main characters and the 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 just it was terrifying i thought it was amazing it was my favorite score from the the best pictures that uh we watched uh absolutely and i'm and i'm going for it for the win as well yeah volker volker bertelman uh yeah nailed it He, he the the idea of these of using the instrumentation to incite fear uh, in the viewer was was incredible. And yeah, dude, that that noise in particular. And it's not like it's not like, oh, it's just Inception again. It It's like it's a noise that like is going no, to it's... resonate and stick. But with it you. is. It is Inception. No, again. it's not. It dude. Was, no it's, way. It's... It's it's different enough. It's in my harsher. It's, it's the harsher. same idea, but it, it is. It was it was it was the first thing that Sarah and I talked about after watching the movie was that sound. That sound. Oh, I will also just say I think the piano work uh, that John Williams uh, puts in in the Fablemans. Uh, I liked it. I think it was was different enough. There's obviously a lot of strings in that movie as well, but I think the some of the some of the the tunes that he plays really help to uh, emphasize. 
some of the warmer moments and also some of the colder moments in that movie. Um, but I think San Lux for me is where I'm going to put my vote with everything everywhere all at once. Uh, it's such a different soundtrack. It, it really, you know, when we're talking about um, music to enhance the narrative and the mm-hmm. story and we we're talking about it a multiversal, yeah. you know, score. Uh, that's exactly what we get from San Lux. And it is, it is pretty riveting. Now I've heard uh, strategically that it might be the best choice to choose Babylon um, as the music apparently is pretty rocking in that, but I wasn't going to sit through three hours and 40 minutes of a movie uh, to figure that out. So I listened to a little bit and, and yeah, absolutely. The, the, the jazz sounds and the, the sort of the instrumentation in that, in that, soundtrack sound intriguing but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go with it just because i haven't seen it i'm going with everything everywhere all at once from sunlux yeah i'm going with everything everywhere all at once from sunlux as well i i think that as as you said nate it is by far the most unique score on this list um it had to move quickly and move people through different emotions and moods just like the narrative does from a film editing standpoint um, so I think it's it's done so well uh, as as a musical score to be both of itself while also reminiscent of a cinematic score. It has the best of both. And you mentioned one person that should be on this list. I think Michael Giacchino should be on this list for the Batman. It's unfortunate that mm. you know he wasn't he wasn't actually uh, on this list. I, I was surprised because that score you know that got a lot of. I mean, but wasn't it just one theme repeated for? Two and a half hours. That was that would be my only issue with it. Was incredible. It's you know it should be the next iconic Batman. But you but music you rem- that you think of. But Kevin, you remembered it. You you didn't remember the Fablemans. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's right. Like you, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah. But I I mean I'm I'm fine with him going on there over over John Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Uh, it's it was probably better than that. Uh, Nate, you did bring up some interesting points about uh, the Fablemans with the piano and and the whole. Yeah aspect of Spielberg's mom over- and everything. It, it, it's, you didn't change my mind, but <laughs> okay. you made some compelling arguments. Well, I totally agree with you, Kevin. I think this movie wastes the talents of, of John Williams. You know, it, it, the, the Fablemans is missing that signature theming or, or score, that signature theming that is inherently what John Williams brings to every movie. Like if you think of the work that he did for Catch Me If You Can, like you remember Leonardo DiCaprio, you remember Tom Hanks, you remember this really fun heist adventure con man story, but you also remember John Williams' music. It, it is signature to that movie. So, you know, I don't think you're wrong to say that this was a little subdued and a little, it was very background music, which just doesn't feel inherently what John Williams would usually bring to a project. So he, I feel like he was kind of wasted and his talents didn't really get used. And I don't know, it just came off overly generic and not really important overall. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, but I will say, as we're about halfway through here, gentlemen, it's clear. Did, did you guys have a favorite movie, perhaps, that uh, that uh, was nominated a whole bunch here? Uh, going a lot with the everything, everywhere, all at once. And I don't think that is a bad strategy or opinion to have at all. In fact, speaking of, why don't we move into our next nominee for Best Picture, 
from producers Anthony Russo, Joe Russo, Mike LaRocca, Daniel Kwan, Daniel Scheinert, Jonathan Wang, and Peter Tamlee. Everything, everywhere, all at once explores the adventures of Evelyn Wang, who, while being audited by the IRS, discovers that she must connect with parallel universe versions of herself to prevent a powerful being from destroying the multiverse. Um, you know, this 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 sounds like a, a Marvel movie <laughs> that we saw that wasn't very good. Fortunately, we got two multiversal movies in, in, in the year, and one was exceptionally better than the other. And we, we spoke to the directors of both of those movies, uh, in previous podcast episodes, uh, this movie ha- I haven't I haven't stopped thinking about everything everywhere all at once. It it truly is everything everywhere all at once. As I think uh, as a quote from Justin on the, on your review that you guys did, um, it honestly the the Daniels nailed it and and incredible performances from the entire cast: Michelle Yeoh, Stephanie Hsu, um, you know, Ki Hui Kwan, James Hong, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jenny Slate. Um, just some really, really fantastic moments that are are kind of forever ingrained in my brain, uh, and it's one of those movies that I, I rewatched, and I was I was so happy to do so. Uh, and again, when you've when you've got like a super long runtime, like all of these movies do, for you to be sort of excited to invest that much of your day uh, into into a story, um, it I think it just. It speaks a lot with with how much phenomenal content we have available to us these days um, that you would spend so much time rewatching and rewatching this movie. Um, But yeah, dude, this is it's it's fantastic. It's incredible. It's it's everything. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is literally everything everywhere all at once. And I'm going to connect it back to the, the fact that this movie has everything from all the other movies in its category for best picture. It has the visual effects. It has the adventure. It's got it Elvis. Heartfelt. It doesn't got Elvis. No, thankfully, it, but I mean, it's got. You've got. <laughs> at one point, you do have somebody wearing an Elvis outfit. Actually, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah. you're right. You're absolutely right. It's uh, Stephanie Shu's character that wears mm-hmm. the the Elvis outfit. Okay, Elvis is there too. That is <laughs> that is great. Basically, getting to the point that this movie has everything from all those other movies and it's mixed in here and it's so deserving to be in Best Picture because it does all of those things better than any of the other movies around it. It is elevated on a whole whole other level with the outstanding performances from the entire cast led by Michelle Yeoh. The Daniels take wild and crazy idea and keep it grounded and focused on on family and love and relationships that we have and generational trauma and then talking about uh, an immigrant family living in, in, in the U.S. There's just such layers and layers and layers that make it overly relevant while also overly imaginative all at once. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, yes, this movie is was my favorite movie of the year. I have talked it to death and I'm so happy that uh, we are here at the Oscars and it is getting celebrated with so much love in all the categories. And in all honesty, it, it may not obviously win in every category that it is uh, nominated for, but I really do hope that we have another bong hive moment at the Oscars like Parasite and everything everywhere all at once literally just cleans house, takes home every single award that it's nominated for. That would be great. I, I would love that. But yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. And uh, I think I've made that pretty clear over the past year. <laughs> uh, you know, in an age where we're inundated with trailers and promotional material and all of that, I've really started to enjoy 
avoiding uh, trailers and whatnot for certain movies, and this was one of them, and I couldn't have been happier with my decision that every second of it was a sheer surprise. I had no idea what to expect and uh, was really, really blown away. I remember when Just took me to the screening and I thought, oh, I'll go check it out. Why not? And I left the theater really, really blown away by what an incredible piece of work it is. Um, it's, it's, I don't know if I love it quite as much as everyone else in the world seems to. And so I'm, I'm, probably wrong uh in that but you know i will say that it was most things in most places most of the time <laughs> uh and 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 i really did enjoy what it was and huge huge shouts to raccoon to uh raccoon tui uh i love raccoon raccoon <laughs> <Yeah>. whatever <laughs> uh, that was that was a lot of fun and uh quirky amazing never have rocks been so interesting right never have they been so emotionally yeah engaging yeah. and i think there's so Put many some googly unique... eyes on it it's good to go man yeah well, i guess so i guess so right that's why i just slapped them on everything around the house now um but no this was this was the this is the little engine that could this is the the ultimate underdog story for a movie doing what it's doing um and i think it's gonna have a very very good night on sunday all right let's move to uh what are generally Usually my two favorite categories of the evening. However, I wasn't so thrilled this year. We'll get into it a little bit more. First, for original screenplay. The nominees are Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inishirin, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Oostland for Triangle of Sadness. I think Oostland... Um or Ausland, or however you want to pronounce uh, Ruben's last name. Um, I think it's an ooze. Yeah. It's tough with the umlauts. With the umlauts. Um, I think Triangle of Sadness was was uh, was really, really fantastic. And, and again, very different, uh, which is the kind of movies that he likes to, to kind of bring to us. Um, but no, I, I got to go again with the Daniels. I just, again, it, we just discussed how incredibly um, original the movie was that ha has sort of elements. I love that point, Justin, of all of the best pictures. Um, so I'm going to go with everything everywhere all at once uh, from the Daniels for original screenplay. Well, here we go again, because I am also going with the Daniels for everything everywhere all at once. You know, when it comes to the writing of this movie, they did such a great job of weaving in the different multiversal stories to help tell the bigger story that stays rooted to something that everyone can really relate to. I think, if anything, from an originality standpoint, Everything Everywhere All at Once deserves the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, for myself, like I, I wanted to pick tri Triangle of Sadness here. It's it's the Best Picture nominee na nation that, that intrigued me most. And, I, and I'll, I'll save more talking, you know, more of my talking points for, for later on in the show. But I will say where it fell apart with, for me was the ending, and I, and I think that's such a, a crucial point is to stick the landing when you're when you're writing a screenplay, um, you know. And I do think that sometimes people look at the word original screenplay and they don't see it for what it is. It's the opposite of adapted, and they go, "Oh, it has to be the most original." Or no, but in this case, the award should go to what is actually the most original screenplay that we saw this year, and that was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, they deserve they deserve uh, the the award here because they wrote something. And again, 
they did something better than the powerhouse that specializes in making that type of film. And they went and said, ah, we'll do it, but better. And I think that's pretty impressive at the same time. The Banshees had some witty dialogue at the front, but it just, you know, it didn't satisfy me. This The Fablemans was such a vanilla script and story and dialogue. Like, and and Tar, I mean, oh my God, did she oh. just shut up for a second? Could you stop talking for a <laughs> hold second? Hold on, hold on, because you just you just woke something up in me about Tar. Like, and Justin knows that I was, and and we, I was going to kind of mention this a little bit more when we got to talking about Tar. But as far as screenplay is concerned, the most inaccessible dialogue out of any of the contenders in the entirety of, of the Oscars. Like it's just Yeah, do you want to feel do you want to feel inferior in every way, especially <laughs> intellectually? Watch Tar. It's so yeah. it's, that's the point. I get though. that that's the that point, is, Justin. I think so. But it but the problem is yeah. is you can make that point and still open it up a little bit to your audience so that they can sort of feel like they're able to follow these conversations because there was like at least eight out of 10 conversations of her talking to rich white people that I was just kind of like, I'm so, I don't care about what they're talking about. Sure. But I think, you know, Kevin, you probably will get this analogy, but there's almost like a Sorkin quality to this script that doesn't hold your hand. Yeah, but Sorkin makes it fun. Right. This was not right. fun. I don't feel inspired to now learn about the things they were talking about. Whereas with Sorkin, I, I usually do. Yeah, this felt like it, you, you don't understand because you're not good enough to understand. So just watch along, peon. I just I didn't I didn't like that. I don't vibes, appreciate it. But <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we've saved any of our of our resentment for later on in the show. Let's move right to the other um, writing category, which is for best adapted screenplay. The nominees are uh, Edward Berger, Leslie Patterson, and Ian Stokel for All Quiet on the Western Front. Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, Ryan Johnson. Living by Kazuo Ishiguro. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. Screenplay by Aaron Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie. And story by Peter Craig and Justin Marks. I mean, if you need five people to write a movie like that, there's something <laughs> wrong. And finally, Sarah Pauly for Women Talking. I'm going to just kick it off with my choice of Sarah Pauly for Women Talking. Uh, I think this, this movie... Um, it, it like it very much felt like it it was sort of um a book or a stage play at times uh and it very much could fit that you, i i felt like i could be sitting on a uh, in a in a theater watching this take place on a stage and the way that they were able to do that but then still keep it so captivating um and i mean incredible performance i know we're talking not talking about performances incredible performances over and over and over again in that movie um but for adapted screenplay, um, yeah, I'm giving it to Sarah Polly. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% there with you as well. This was my biggest surprise of um, the, the Best Picture nominees in terms of not necessarily how much I enjoyed it, but how how engaged I was with it, how, how thought-provoking I found it. And I, you know, it's essentially people talking in a barn for two and a half hours, yeah. and I was, I not, but I was, I was, captivated by what they were talking about and i found the the issues of morality that it brings up um really really fascinating uh and so i think it was a terrific uh, uh piece of writing here hmm, interesting yeah I, I wasn't really sure what i was going to pick for this category it was my first choice so i'm glad that you guys are picking it as well I, i'm gonna go with the popular vote here i'm gonna select women talking i think you're right like i think that this movie was written well it's dealing with a very heavy topic and in all honesty i, I feel like 
if this movie's going to receive recognition, it's going to be in this category, adapted screenplay and the way it was written. Um, you know, Nate, what a great call out. It, it does feel like a play and I think it is written in that way. So, uh, yeah, I think women talking will, will, will take uh, best adapted screenplay. Can we just take a second here and acknowledge like Top Gun and Glass Onion in this category? I got to say, like, I just I don't understand how Glass Onion is in the adapted because it it's 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 from because right. it's based on a previous work like that's that's what? the stretch no. they took to, no. to get it in there is that is that the same then for top gun mavericks because it was it's based off of the original so yeah it's an i think so screenplay? it's it's literally the sequel award because it's a sequel that's like trying to right? convince yeah. me that banshees of inishirian is a comedy slash musical like come on don't <laughs> don't do that don't do that ridiculous uh, that's such a good point. And again, I'm, I said it in my little intro here, but like when you need five people to write Top Gun, uh, you know. It was still good, though. It was, it was a still terrific good. movie. We'll talk about <laughs> it. But it was, I don't know about this best screenwriting. I don't think that's what made it good. Uh, speaking of best pictures, let's move into our next nominee. From producers Christy Macrosco, Krieger, uh, Steven Spielberg, and Tony Kushner, The Fablemans is the story of Sammy Fableman, a young aspiring filmmaker who explores how the power of films can help him see the truth about his dysfunctional family and those around him. I, uh, I think I might be the highest on this one based off of what we've previously been talking about. Um, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought, um, you know, not only how he captured the story of Sammy, but his own story and also the story of, of uh, a lot of filmmakers of his time. I probably, you know, believe probably feel in similar ways. Um, and even, I guess just any filmmaker in general, but um, there are a, a few scenes that really stuck out with me um, with, with, you know, I think probably the one that, that sticks the most with me is there's a moment where Sammy is, is showing one of his films uh, to an audience and he's not watching the movie. He's watching the audience. And, and it really circles in on his face and his reaction to their reactions. Um, there were part of the movie that felt really warm. The sets, I thought, were really incredible and, and, and very Spielberg-esque, the, the lighting. Um, and I, I felt like I was in the room with these characters a lot of the times. Uh, and then there were other parts that were so cold visually. And, and I, I, I just I enjoyed seeing how, you know, we're, we're seeing how a family is affected uh, by the decisions of two people within it. And how Sammy learns to grow and, and sort of um, even through the struggles of his parents, he can still pursue his passion. And I think it's just it's a really good story. Um, and then you add in a dash yeah. of, you know, teen high school drama. And uh, and yeah, I just I really dug this. It was a very Spielberg ass Spielberg movie. Nah, but see, I think this movie would have been good if it was done by anybody but Spielberg. Oh. This did not feel Spielbergian level to me. Really? And like if I, and it's a, you said it's a good story, yeah. But I've seen that in the Spielberg documentary, and that and mm. I and so I was almost excited to see those things brought to life in the cinematic, magical Spielbergian way. And it came off hokey. It came off as a filmmaker who doesn't have, you know, the most nominations for best picture under his belt. It just it didn't feel. It, this was the I saved this for last. I was so excited for it and. I came out of it. I'd give it a six out of ten. Oof. I'd give it a yeah. three out of five. Oof. Yeah, I I would have to agree. I don't think that this is an overly original movie for Steven Spielberg. It's clear that it's an, very personal to him, mm -hmm. and that's fine. But I just don't think that this has that Spielberg quality of 
adventure. You know, this is this is by the book a Spielberg themed story. It's it's a coming of age. You know, the trials and tribulations of of a high schooler getting into college. Like it fits the mold, but it's surprising at how bland and and how simple it really is. You know, I I know that it is based on him, so it needs to stay true to that story. But this definitely lacked the Steven Spielberg charm. I was very underwhelmed by this movie. I think it might have been a little overhyped for me. I agree, Nate. There's some Spielberg qualities, but they're just on the lesser. It feels like early J.J. Abrams work. Ooh, you know what I mean? Like, you're like just, Super you're just, Eight. You just Super won't Eight, let up, but Justin. You guys good. are cutting so deep into me here. Come on, <laughs> come on, leave JJ out of this. <laughs> yeah, that seems like an unnecessary low blow. But that's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, uh, we're we're a little torn on that one, but I I have a feeling that we won't be so torn on this next category. This is the award for animated feature film. Uh, we have Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots, The Last Witch, The Last Wish, I should say, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. Yeah, The Last Witch is oh. the next one. That's the sequel. <laughs> That's going to be the there next one. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, no shade to Puss in Boots. I actually did find that movie pretty delightful. And the animation in that movie is is pretty fantastic. I think the animation across the board. This is a stacked category. I'm like, this is a tough one to to actually pick because animation across the board is so good for a movie to movie. I also want to shout out uh, Chris Williams for The Sea Beast. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think for to see The Sea Beast up and against um, some of these these you know sort of you know, Pixar is, is really impressive and really really fantastic. Um, I, I this is so such a it's tearing me into three at this point. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio seems like the one to go with if I was going with my head um, if I'm going, you know, with with one part of my heart, I'm looking at turning red. And if I'm going with the other part of my heart, I'm going with my favorite movie, Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Um, so I, I'm I'm going to listen. Domi Shi, if she's standing up there for turning red, I'll be so happy. If Guillermo del Toro is up there, I'm going to be through the through the moon. I'm going to be so happy. But uh, I, I think it's going to I want it to go to Dean Fleischer camp. Um, and Jenny Slate and all the wonderful folks who worked on Marcel the Shell with shoes on. So that's going to be my pick. Nice, Justin. How about yourself? Uh, it's this is a tough category, man. Because I'm I'm totally with you, Nate. Animation across the board is solid. Puss in Boots is fantastic. I just don't think it'll win best feature, best animated feature mm-hmm. film. But it deserves so much to be on yeah. this list. It was so good. And Sea Beasts, I talked to death about that movie on that spoiler really free review. It. I loved yeah. it. I thought it was great. But Turning Red was probably my my favorite animated film of the year. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was incredible. Mm-hmm. Just incredibly unique and different and so much better than the Disney <laughs> yes. live action Pinocchio that we got. Um, <laughs> and it was of its own. It was so unique. Um, then I saw Marcel the Shell with shoes on. And this movie was heartfelt. It was warm. Um, and I think it does really show animation in, in the best light. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think th- it is probably the movie that will win for animated, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that if, if, if Guillermo or, or Domi Shi are on that stage, I would not be disappointed, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'd like to see it go to Dean Fletcher Let's camp go. and the entire team of Marcel the shell with shoes on. 
See, you boys, yeah. you boys, this is why you can never beat me at this game because <laughs> I'm going where the money is. I'm, he's dominated the award circuit so far. I'm giving it to uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Now, this is coming without having yet seen Marcel the Shell with shoes on, which I plan on watching before Sunday. Uh, and so uh, maybe I'll uh, have my heartstrings pulled enough to, to sway the vote there if it's as good as you guys say it is. Um, but I think... The point being, this is one of the strongest animated categories I can ever remember. This is this is not like throwing in two animated films just because they needed five. This was like, this is a, a, a really, really strong group. And it's amazing to see where animation is going. So to anybody who says it's for children... Maybe you don't deserve to have your job anymore. Mm. Oh, wait. <laughs> well, I, I and with that, I, I really do hope the presenters this year are not um, those who talk about animation as, as movies that they watch with their children like they did last year. I mean, honestly, if Guillermo, if Guillermo wasn't nominated, I would have him be the one presenting. A hundred percent. You know, what sure. I mean, I would even For, still or, have or him. Phil, Phil <laughs> Lord, Phil Lord and Chris Miller would, would do a great job. Maybe they, oh, wow. that would yeah. be great if they were the ones that, because they're not nominated for, for anything. They will be next year. Like, yeah. and even just that, when we think of next oh, year's category oh, with <laughs> Across the Spider-Verse, you know, uh, uh, Mutant yeah, Mayhem, Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is going to be on there. Um, you're going to have Elemental as well. Ooh. Mario, of course, we're going to have Mario. Uh, you know, again, it's already looking great for next year. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested to see what is going to win this year. I'm actually more invested in this than Best Picture. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. That is your yes, best picture. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I, I have one of those every year where it's just like I'm so intrigued by the nominees or i'm so uh you know invested in one of the nominees um so uh that's awesome to see that it's coming uh from animated uh and we can we can it it's 30 years later but we can thank the the renaissance of disney animated pictures from turning heads with you know beauty and the beast uh, to look where we are now it's pretty it's pretty awesome from turning uh, heads move to turning our- red Oh, there we go. Oh, my goodness. You're, I, you got my back on that. I got I love you. this. I, if, if I let one go by, you're picking it up. I Nate, you it. didn't even think. You, he's, he, you're, you're tarning red. Oh, tarning. no. Is that an oh, Irish accent? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, or it could just be an allusion to our next nominee for Best Picture. From producers Todd Field, Alexandra Milken, Milken and Scott Lambert. Tar tells the story of Lydia Tar, a renowned conductor whose life spirals out of control as accusations from her past begin to surface. Um, I'm just I'm going to lead it off here and say, okay, there's one scene where where Kate uh, Blanchett is is uh, lecturing in a class, and I don't know how long the individual take is, but she might be acting with like just the most words per minute dialogue I've ever seen in one take. And it is so unbelievable. It's so exceptional. I I found myself when, when there was finally a cut, I went, holy shit, that might be some of the best singular acting in a scene I've ever seen done. But the problem is it's surrounded by so much other pretentious bullshit. I, I, I really enjoyed women talking, but this was woman talking, and I did not enjoy it nearly as much. I just I just hated being talked down to for two and a half hours. I, I, listen, I, I think 
again, and I get what Justin's about to to rebut with that it's supposed to be <laughs> like that. It's supposed to be we're supposed to feel that way so that the end of the movie, the resolution will feel but but listen, when you're talking about a a 15 minute payoff for how long this movie was, I didn't find it to be to be worth it. It was it a, was it a great ending? Was it a really intriguing way that they they showed this character and 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 her her downfall sure i just didn't find it to be to be worth going through um and i think that there's there's a lot of things that that i didn't pick up on and i i struggle to think of like am i am i just really not smart um i watched an explainer video <laughs> and and i sent justin the same explainer video from um who who was it? Who did we watch it from? Heavy, heavy spoilers. spoilers. Great heavy work spoilers. over heavy spoilers. Yeah. Um, but if I have to watch an explainer video to get me from a two point five to a three point five, I'm not giving this movie a three point five. I'm sorry. As as intriguing as the themes that that sixteen minute video covered amazingly, um, this movie didn't didn't do that for me. So I I, I did not enjoy Tar. <laughs> sorry. Well, I was pretty apprehensive about seeing this movie. Um, I know Nate can can attest to this, but you know, I called him and I, we were talking about it, and I was like, "Man, this movie's too over two and a half hours. Like, I just don't, doesn't seem interesting." Um, and then, you know, he started mentioning the, the explainer video and and talking about the psychological thriller aspect, and I said, "Okay, I'll give it a shot. I, I won't just jump to watching the uh, explainer video." And honestly, I was pleasantly surprised, you know, after watching this movie and not watching the explainer video and coming right out of it, I would give this movie a 3.5 out of 5. The idea that it keeps you outside of the world and that you don't feel like you're a part of it and you're trying to decipher. And this is all anchored by Kate Blanchett's overly pretentious performance that makes you feel like you're not worthy to be in her presence. Um, you know, as I was mentioning, there's there's a psychological thriller element that works its way through the narrative and that's seen in the cinematography and just how it's edited together. Um, honestly, I think everything about this movie was done intentionally to make you feel uncomfortable. And that really does come down to the words of the script and what is being spoken because, yeah, I totally agree. The language and the dialogue is completely inaccessible. Um, and it, it does make you feel like you're outside. But as you said, Nate, I think that is the point, because when you get to that resolution at the end, it, it does hit you because you spent the last two hours in this overly pretentious world. And to see it kind of change and shift, you know, it just it just lands differently. So I enjoyed it. You know, I'm I'm very glad that it resonated with you, Justin. It just didn't stick for me. Um, that's a, a joke about sticky tar. Um, why don't we move on to our uh, next category? We're getting into the the big four. I know I know we just gushed about how incredible animated is and how much we're looking forward. To, but these are you know generally considered the big four of the evening, um, and I'm excited to uh, wrap things up with them. Uh, this is for uh, achievement in directing. For the Banshees of Inishirin, Martin McDonough. For Everything Everywhere, All at Once, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. For the Fablemans, Steven Spielberg. For Tar, Todd Field. And for Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Usland. Well, I think that this could go one of two ways. Now, my money is on the Daniels, but I think that, that Steven Spielberg could win Best Director 
for the Fablemans because it makes sense for him to get that recognition for the story that he told and for Fablemans to get acknowledged. He got acknowledged here. Best but director. That's his best picture? It makes sense. That That is his best picture moment. Doesn't get best picture, but he gets it. He gets cool. it here. But at the same time, though, I think that the Daniels are yeah. going to get best director. I'm going with my my heart on this. They they deserve it. And honestly, I think that they're, there's a very good chance they could clean house on Sunday and, and take home all the awards. So yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once. The Daniels for best director. I'm also going with the Daniels. Um, I think that, again, it's, again, it's one of those things where it's like, you've got them in the writing. You've got them in the directing. You've got them in the visual effects. Um, they're in the movie. Uh, like they've, they just, they put so much of themselves, uh, into this work, making us, uh, into yeah. making this movie. Um, and I, I definitely think, again, I think the only one that comes close to me from a directing standpoint, I do think is the Fablemans, um, speaking of putting yourself in the movie, uh, in a different way, but, um, but no, I'm going with the Daniels. I, I definitely think it's, it, they got to take it. It'd be so cool. I mean, I think you mentioned both of of um, your choices b- being perhaps recognized for reasons outside of just directing. And, you know, would the Spielberg win this because he doesn't get best picture? Did the Daniels deserve this because of how much they put into the movie? And I think that's what best picture should be for. I think if they do get the achievement, that's where it should be. It's for best picture because everything that they did is the sum of those parts. Um that said, it, it did feel like Spielberg was going to – he had it in the bag. This one was over, you know, especially when he won the Golden Globe. It was like, this is just – here we go. We know what's going to happen. But the, the the momentum that everything everywhere all at once is gaining, I I think they're going to be up there for a lot of hardware, including this one. We're going to get uh, one of our first ever dual director wins, uh, and it's it's – yeah – just the the eighth or ninth of you know ten or eleven moments that these guys might have on a, a pretty big night for them coming up, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but now let's move on to one of our final nominations for best picture from producers Jerry Bruckheimer, Tom Cruise, Christopher McQuarrie, and David Ellison. Top Gun Maverick shows that after even after thirty years, Maverick is still pushing the envelope as a top naval aviator, but must confront ghosts of his past when he leads the Top Gun program's elite graduates on a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice from those chosen to fly it. I don't have a lot. I just wrote booming, IMAX, loud, exhilarating, cheesy, and confident. I think are the words <laughs> that I would condense my review of Top Gun Maverick down to. It, it made a, a Top Gun uh, fan out of me, for sure. Uh, I watched the, the first one on the way to seeing uh, the, the sequel, uh, even to the point where I had to watch half of it on a phone, as I'm sure it was intended to be watched. Uh, and, then, and then watching Top Gun Maverick on the complete opposite of that and just being completely riveted, shaken at times uh, to my, my soul, uh, with the with the noise and the the volume of the movie theater, um, yeah, dude, seeing Top Gun Maverick in IMAX is it's one of those movie experiences that's just like that's it. And and I think even more in the sense that it, this is kind of um, this was the movie that brought audiences back. I, I know, yeah, it's post pandemic, right? Theater I, I know, I know. Sure. Um, yeah. What's his nuts likes to say that he was the reason with uh, with that movie where people go backwards or whatever that movie was <laughs> again 
Um, why am I blanking right now? Nolan? On yeah. Tenant? No, he would not say that. He he did not want to release that movie the time that it did, but he had to. Right. So it's a shame that that movie couldn't have waited because obviously Top Gun benefited from mm-hmm. waiting. It was delayed immensely because it was meant to be experienced in the theater. Steven Spielberg said to Tom Cruise at the Producer Guild, like, you, you single-handedly saved the theater-going experience. Like, the the idea that Top Gun Maverick generated that much of a buzz and was was one of the most successful movies of the year just on its theater going experience says a lot and which is why it deserves to be in this category you know it was the it was the resurgence of the theater experience but it's also the resurgence of like just that popcorn summer blockbuster you know you see it with your friends you talk about it after you know this is the theatrical experience moviegoers we're waiting for and the movie itself embraced all the nostalgia of the original Top Gun and really soars to new heights Um, the IMAX experience is the only way that you could really experience this movie and my god Tom Cruise is a superstar he brings new depth to the character of Maverick Um, you know it'd be wild It'd be absolutely wild if it took home the gold for 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 best picture. No, it would be crazy. It's not gonna happen, Justin. But Stop. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's. It, but here's my thing. That's I think this is this movie is the wild card. This could be the wild card movie that could potentially. Wasn't there one? Of, wasn't that one of the characters? Wild card was that one of the, <laughs> the pilots? <laughs> not yet. That would be your call. <laughs> uh, I think. I mean, you guys nailed it. This is the pinnacle of. Big screen spectacle. This is the first true spectacle. popcorn blockbuster that we've had in in years. This was the ultimate, you know, theater going experience, and in a lot of ways, probably did save that theater going experience for people for years to come. Uh, Tom Cruise deserves all the credit in the world for for his commitment to not just the the character uh, of Maverick, but to you know, also setting standards during COVID for what was a safe work environment for his colleagues, and and so much of of what he did in the the behind the scenes for this movie make the the fact that the movie was so much better than a sequel to Top Gun had any right in the world to be. Top Gun is an '80s bro action flick, and this was just like a solid, <coughs> awesome, just spectacle that. Oh, I'm stealing the Avatar. It's a spectacle that, you know, people really enjoyed, too. It wasn't just like, wow, that's great to look at. It was like, man, I felt something watching these pilots do these, you know, Death Star runs. So uh, I think... Did Avatar better than Avatar? I was going to say, it did did what James Cameron expected to do, but, you know, instead... Way better. They did it in a jet and way better, and... um, it's not the best picture, but man, it's it's one of the coolest stories, and it was the biggest, baddest movie that came out this year, one hundred percent. Okay, why don't we move into our uh, our one of our final categories here? This is for actress in a leading role. For Tar, we have Kate Blanchett. For Blonde, Anna De Armas. For To Leslie, Andrea Riseborough. For The Fablemans, Michelle Williams. And for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Michelle Yo. I say Michelle, you say... Yo. Yo. Because she <laughs> is going to take home that gold, I am telling you. Again, just like he, she has had a great award season, uh, getting the recognition and acknowledgement for her performance in this movie. Um, it is next level. It's transformative. 
it transforms the perception of of what people see uh, of of Michelle Yeoh on screen. And it proved so much in that, you know, she's been typecasted. She's been, you know, stuck in a, a bit of a genre box, if you will. And here she really gets to break that mold on her own terms in her own performance. That is absolutely riveting and, and incredibly captivating. It has stuck with me since March of 2022 when I saw this movie. And I remember when we left the theaters, I was saying that she is going to get nominated for an Oscar. So I'm so happy that we're here and we will see Michelle Yeoh win the Oscar for Best Actress in the Leading Role for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I think when we, we look at this, um, I oftentimes I'm looking at these these performances through the idea of like, was it a fully fleshed out character that was made even better by the performance and I think of like Anna de Armas in in Blonde as Marilyn Monroe looked very much like Marilyn Monroe um, I can't necessarily say though that the entirety of that movie had me captivated by her her performance I think there were moments I think Michelle that Williams and the Fablemans had some great moments throughout the movie I really do I think there were some fantastic again one or two scenes do ya do ya Nate I, you do I, do ya I do oh, I really God. do <laughs> <laughs> I also think that um, as you said Kevin Kate Blanchett is incredible as Lydia Tarr I wish I cared what she was talking about, but but the way she was talking and the length of time that she made you believe that she knew her shit. Absolutely. I believe that she is absolutely that character. And if I was to find her having a conversation about the same stuff with someone else, I probably wouldn't stick around for too long to actually watch it. But I'd be impressed. Um, I will say, though, Michelle Yeoh, just the entirety of that movie is incredibly captivating. Um, Evelyn Wang is just one of those characters that, again, from as, as sort of this underdog story that will just stick with me forever, and, and she's she's just so perfect uh, in it. So I'm, I'm going to go with Michelle Yeoh as well. Yeah, I think if you want to show an acting class how to act, you show them Kate Blanchett's performance. Uh, if you want to show... Um, you know, an example of when a, uh, an actor with an uh, accent can't hide that accent, you show them blonde. Um, and <laughs> if you want to show them how a character can be the heart and soul of a movie, um, you show them Michelle Yeoh. I think other than the Daniels, which are obviously, they're, they're, they're the, the crux of this whole film and everything that has to do with it. But if you take... Michelle Yeoh out of it. I don't know if it works as well. I don't know if it resonates the same way. I just, she is the sort of centerpiece on the screen that that holds it all together. And it's amazing. I mean, when we saw that back in March, it was like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if she got nominated for this? And now it's like, it's I said, basically she's gonna a shoe man. It's yeah, basically it's... a shoe and she's going to win, not just nominated, but it's just, yeah, I think she's going to win. And uh, it's a hell of a performance in... Uh, yeah, it, it, you know, in a, in a pretty stacked field when you look at who she's going against here and it's just like, no, sorry, this is a no-brainer. Her speech her speech will be very interesting, very much like Keys. I think it's going to be emotional, but it's going to be to the point it's going to be tough too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, they've, they've had some really interesting things to say about what this movie means to their community and uh, I think she's really proud to be representing 
that here and so it's it's going to be uh, a pretty cool moment yeah it's this authentic. is my this yeah. is my like if avatar loses you know if she loses i'll, I'll eat my ipad after i've already eaten my laptop if avatar <laughs> loses so um but yeah this that one seems like a no-brainer all right let's move to one of our final nominees for best picture from producers eric hemendorf and philip bobber Triangle of Sadness follows a celebrity couple on a luxury cruise with wealthy guests where the unexpected is just the first act. This was a delightful surprise. This huh. was um I after especially after watching two seasons of of The White Lotus, um this was this was just right where I needed it to be. Um White Lotus at times we get a bit of uh maybe in the further part of the movie a bit of lost vibes, a bit of Lord of the Flies vibes. Um, I mean, this movie even has like the same hallway shot from the White Lotus that, that sort of carries through as it sort of pans through and you get to see sort of some of the craziest imagery uh, that I've seen uh, of, of a bunch of white rich people. Um, a really fantastic message on anti-capitalism. Um, I will say, though. One of the things that I wrote down was that if this was a movie in the 90s, it would have been starring Leslie Nielsen as the captain of the ship, and it would have straight up been a parody comedy. Uh, <laughs> because because <laughs> as I'm watching the movie, I, I sort of, I was like, I don't get how this is necessarily comedy. I'm not fully figuring it out yet. And then it, it sort of slowly um, starts to descend, if you will, into this dark comedy. And there were moments where I was like, Oh, okay. Now I'm in on the joke. I get it, and and this is absolutely fantastic. Um, I think it's a little a little bit too long, um, but otherwise, uh, I thought it was really really good. It is long, but I thought this was paced well. You know, in mm. in sort of a an act structure of how we we experience the story through the eyes of these influencers and what inevitably uh, you know evolves. And you know, I love the idea of using the yacht as as a as a uh, social structure, uh, you know, where you have the affluent on top and the the workers at the bottom, um, and you know the idea that when mayhem ensues, you know it, things shift, that that power dynamic shifts, and you know those who were the helpers are now becoming the leaders and and taking charge. Um, so I, I think that there's a there's a commentary that about social class and how we look at social classes. It's it's very apparent here and, and the capitalism piece as well is, is a huge huge importance and i think that's very much what the, the triangle of sadness is is that an allegory for uh class systems and you know the wealthy on top and and, and the, the, those at the bottom i think this was a very smart movie and it was done in probably the most fun way but yeah i think where it loses me is towards the end, like you said, Kevin, um, it, it just kind of feels like it doesn't stick to landing um, and it introduces this thing and then it's just kind of done. And with a movie like this, ambiguity can help, but I don't know if it really worked in the ending. But yeah, this movie, it's good, but it, I don't know. I don't think it's going to get best picture. Don't uh, don't fill up on Doritos, though, watching this movie, because you might see a bunch of triangles of sadness coming out of you. Uh, this is not a movie for those who are maybe get seasick easily. <laughs> That's been heavily alluded to online with some of the visuals yeah. that people have, have put out about this movie. It's and, rough. and it's crazy to see, you know, again, to going back to the social structure, to see the insides of both the ship and, and the people aboard the ship start to, to come out. You know, rich people starting to spew out and the disgusting nature of oh. what unfolds on the ship that is, is seen as this pristine high class experience, right? It's mm -hmm. it's so, it's it's all done really, really well and, and with, with a clear commentary. Mm -hmm. I think the, the 
we're alluding to these 20, 25 minutes that happened right around the middle of the movie where it just, you just start to get the feeling that something's off and it just Mm -hmm. slowly builds on itself layer after layer. And you're like, oh no, this is, this is going places. And (laughs) it is just chaos and it's awkward laughter (laughs) and it's gross out humor, but in like, a satisfying way it's well because and that's the thing oh, you, you you almost get gratification to see these like yeah over this the happening to these people, people. To that, yes the, exactly of course right? um, even the guy who gets like a little bit of like vom on him as he's eating and he just continues he like, flicks it off he's like, like he's going. you know what he spent for that meal man he's not missing the captain's meal no way Jeez. no way but and then just you know, as the guy gets drunker and drunky, drunker with the captain, and they're they're on the intercom, like that that part really had me just howling out loud. I am the captain of the ship now. Um, there, it's just the the zaniest twenty five minutes I can remember in a movie in a long, long time, and I loved it's a it. Shift. And it, yeah, it, it it's it that that twenty five minutes makes it my favorite movie of the ten best picture nominations. But the fact wow. that the ending is such a cop out. Uh, in my opinion, and we we don't want to give away spoilers here. We want you guys to go watch these movies if you haven't seen them yet. But I just don't like that leave it up to the viewer to decide kind of finish. I feel that's a cop out, and so that's what really I I I w- went from just being like that movie was awesome to oh man I'm so disappointed in the last like five minutes. Yeah, it falls apart. It falls apart in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's it just it's like pick. Ju- I don't care what you decided to have happen, but choose one and show me it happen. I've been through too much with these people to not see a conclusion. <laughs> so, uh, but this was another one where I was like, other than hearing that it, it thematically uh, drew parallels to the menu, which was another one of my absolute favorite movies of last year. Um, I knew very little about it and hadn't seen a damn thing. And that is the absolute best way to go in. Don't, don't go into this knowing a damn thing about it and just go on this journey because it is an unexpected journey in the hobbitiest of ways. Um, all right, let's move to our second last category. This is for actor in a leading role. We have Austin Butler himself as Elvis, <laughs> Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inishirin. Brendan Fraser in The Whale, Paul Mescal in After Sun, and Bill Nye in Living. It's Brendan Fraser. It's Brendan. It's got to be Brendan Fraser. Sure. It is. It's going to be. I, I. I like that. That performance has stuck with me since I watched the movie, and it's emotional. It is. It is. It's intense. It's. It's really hard to watch at times. Just. Just to see him put himself through this, but the commitment that Brendan Fraser brings to this role is next level. It's it's memorable. And on top of it all, the fact that he and Key are on this the same journey of resurgence and they've been celebrated in the award circle already. I, I really would love to see like my heart would love to see Brendan Fraser witness. There is a chance that Austin Butler could could win it, but I I just again it when we talk about some of the overacting, he definitely played his part in adding to that. It, some of his performance was good. I, I'll give you that. Uh, you know, watching the movie, it's probably when he didn't speak in most cases, but every time he spoke and every time it just kind of almost had that clownish feel to it. Uh, similar to that of, of Tom Hanks and 
I just it took it sometimes took me out at, at points. So whereas with Brendan Fraser, it just it all of it again. I I say this: it's when an actor can believe the character that they're playing, and I think that can be said about all of the actors I selected for the categories in these Academy Awards that they all believed who they were. So my choice is Brendan Fraser for The Whale as uh, Best Actor. Austin Butler literally, literally became Elvis to the point where he hasn't stopped being him since. Come on, that's commitment. <laughs> that's commitment. That's, yeah, that's I, lost identity. That's yeah, I, 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 could see, I could see him um, him up on the stage. Thank you, thank you very much um, for this Oscar. But uh, I... I, I yeah, Brendan Fraser as Charlie. It's just riveting. It's such a riveting experience, and I watched it today. And yeah, absolutely, man. I, the guy sorry. had me crying. I was yeah. tearing up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at various times, I mean, Austin Butler won the Golden Globe, and so that had people going, "Wait a minute, what's happening here?" Uh, I honestly think Colin Farrell and what he's done with his career in the last ten plus years, he's so amazing. I mean, that guy literally personifies the triangle of sadness with his eyebrows in the Banshees of Inishirin. Like, <laughs> you just, I felt so much for him and those those big, beautiful eyebrows. But no, it's Brendan Fraser all day. Like, just, the, it's it's etched it's etched on there. I can't wait to see his speech because, you know, as a big Rick O'Connell fan growing up, it's it's crazy to see that he's he's gone through so much behind the scenes personally and that he's been able to bring himself back here it's such a beautiful story much like you said like key and he's been celebrated in the in the award circles so much for his genuine and and authentic performance that he gave in this role because it's it's just it resonates with so many people like it's pretty crazy when you think of what he went what he put himself through you know physically and emotionally uh to to play this character and i mean no matter what happens he did say you know, in an interview uh, recently where, you know, he's had people reach out to him. Uh, he's had people reach out to him who have who his performances resonated with um, and, and they've talked to him about their stories. Uh, and he said that's that's the that's the best award right there. Um, so, you know, it would be phenomenal if he takes home the Oscar. Uh, but he seems like he's already won. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's a great we'll way of putting that. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Let's look at our final nominee for best picture. From producers Dee Dee Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner, and Francis McDormand, Women Talking is the story of the women in an isolated religious community who grapple with reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. This was a heavy was, movie. It was a heavy movie. It's hard to watch. Um, I got a lot of Handmaid's Tale vibes, obviously, but where that series, you know, sort of um, takes something that that dramatizes it though. kind of yeah but, but it also makes it feel more um dystopian because it takes place in the future this movie just hits so hard uh on the standpoint of like no 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 that this is real this is all real this is you know what i mean like again i obviously you you get that with handmaid's tale but this just i don't know it just the way that it that was hitting the way that the the dialogue was as i said we said before written felt like a stage play um, emphasizes the incredible performances. Um, I love the, the, the way that even though at, at times I think the movie is a little bit too visually dark. Um, I think there's moments where the sun adds color into and hope. And yeah. In, 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 yeah, and it's really, really, really cool. The way that they, they managed to get that um, shot uh, and, and the way they add those effects. I think the editing, as I already mentioned, 
there's moments with flashbacks in this movie that are sharp, punchy, and brutal, and so effective in the way that they're they're edited. Um, I, I just think it's it's fantastic that this movie is it's it, you know it's a result of the actions of the men in the movie, but they are the movie's not about them. It's about these these women and, and their experiences. Um, and it's, yeah, it's harrowing. It's hard to watch. I don't think I'd watch it anytime soon, but that's not because it wasn't a fantastic film. Yeah. It's, it's, it's heavy and it sticks with you. And I think that the, 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 the real craft of this movie is from an editing standpoint, Nate, really the, the story comes alive through the editing. And like you said, like this isn't obvious, horrific actions that we see happening to these women. It's, 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 captured in a way by almost what you don't see and and the remnants of moments and the memories and the scars that it's has influenced on on the characters as to why they're in that barn discussing the next part of their faith and i think that that's where the 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 sort of that heaviness and that that ability to really hit you is is by not showing you everything it's it's what's 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 happened is the outcome of it i think it, it was well, well crafted in that way it was the story was told so it wasn't necessarily about the horrific natures of what happened to them but about them and their decisions right and i think that you know this is such um a, a well crafted film for sarah Pauli. i think that much like her other films there's a balance between nature and nurture and i think that this is very much in that realm of, of tonality, you know, uh, again, extremely heavy topic, um, but one that needed to be be shared and, and showcased. And I think it was done in the most honest way. I honestly think the biggest shame of this movie is the fact that there's so many terrific acting performances here. And it's almost as if Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, and Jesse Buckley were all so good and their performances were all so intertwined with each other that none of them could be separated and therefore none of them got a nomination, even though I think any of the three of them deserved to be nominated for their performances. I found them just absolutely captivating. Um, I, I, I wanted to reach through and, and try and reason with some of them about the decisions they were contemplating. Uh, and I really did find that to be one of the more intriguing aspects of the movie was just how it plays with your morality and and at times i was thinking well th no because they're, they're you know they're given the three choices to stay and fight leave or do nothing and and at different times i could see the rationale behind any of those stances and the reasons why the the, the women were choosing those those decisions and i just thought it's it was just such a harrowing position for them to have been put into, and such a fascinating um, look at at religion and and again morality. So uh, this this one took me the most by surprise uh, as I went into watching the best pictures uh, nominees. I just I just was floored by how it made me feel uh, afterwards, and and I was really really uh, impressed with with so many aspects of it. So this was definitely my big surprise coming out of all the uh, the ten best nominations. Uh, now, speaking of, why don't we recap those and make our final picks for our final category, which is, of course, Best Picture. All really quickly, just remind everyone, the nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. I think there's a lot on this list that, as we've said, deserve to be there. Uh, and there's a few that, that definitely uh, don't, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, 
but I mean, obviously, I think this is it. Obviously, uh, I'm giving it to Elvis. Um, I just think. <laughs> no. Well, thank you very much. Uh, sorry, sorry, the wrong. That's it, it's still the letter E. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, yeah, let's just do it. Let's 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 make it happen. Um, let's go for it. I, I think technically, you know, the Academy loves a war movie. Um, the Academy loves movies made about movies. So to have a director making a movie about directing a movie, um, you know, it's 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 very uh, it's some good bait on the hook for for the Academy. I just I want like please just everything everywhere all at once make it happen. Um, I can't wait to celebrate. Yeah, I think that uh, of all of the awards that everything everywhere all at once is nominated for, this is the most likely one that it will win is best picture. Um, it may not it, it might not win best best director. It might not the win for for editing, um, like I've I've chosen, but I, or even original score. But best picture is is definitely a guarantee because. Uh, as you pointed out, this movie came out uh, almost a year, in and around a year from uh, a year ago from from this month, and it's still a movie that people are talking about. It is a movie that has stuck with audiences and with myself. Um, so yes, I I agree. Everything, everywhere, all at once for best picture. I love the point you bring up there, uh, Justin, because I remember a couple years ago when we had a uh, friend of the show Mike Hogan on, and he talked about how some of these best pictures, you know, they pop up. They, they get people talking. People go, oh, yeah, that was really good. It wins Best Picture. And then you never talk about it again or you quickly sour on it and, and it, it doesn't age well or whatnot. To think that this movie is where it's at a year after coming out and it and it just slowly went like, hey, we, we're going to start with this limited reach and it used word of mouth and developed this reputation and got people to go see it and the fact that so many people went to see it and were just like holy shit it is as good as people told me it was oh my god it's even better than i expected it to be and to have the acting performances the originality the the just so much going for it to make it a special movie i think that's what the best picture should really be about we've never really seen a movie quite like this movie where it takes so many elements of the movies that we love and combined it all into one and made it work the way it did is just a feat that i i think deserves to be celebrated so while it might not be my absolute favorite of of the movies that were nominated this year of the movies that i've seen within the last year i think it is the best movie yeah. Uh, to come out and uh, I think it deserves the accolades that it's going to receive on Sunday. All right, well, I think it's time we get uh, to go and mingle at some after parties now. Uh, this was our Academy Awards preview show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and leave us a glowing review or we might just have to kill your donkey. As always, oh, no. <laughs> reach out and say hi and let us know who you'll be rooting for at this year's Academy Awards. You can do so at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com or if that's a little bit like winning a Razzie, hit us up on Twitter at GeekCentricYT and Instagram at WeAreGeekCentric. Be sure to tune in next week where we'll reveal who won our annual competition as well as who took home all the hardware at the 95th Annual Academy Awards. Keep in mind we also have a ton of other great content uh, covering the latest in movies, TV shows, and games including our recent spoiler-free review for the Apple TV original series Hello Tomorrow. And if you're like us and can't get enough Star Wars, we currently have two weekly watch clubs going on right now. One for Star Wars The Bad Batch Season 2, which we bring to you every Wednesday. And to quote Yoda's dying words, there is another. We also have our watch club for The Mandalorian Season 3 with new episodes out each Friday. 
And speaking of The Mandalorian, we also have interviews out now with The Mandalorian director and series producer Rick Femuiwa, as well as Bo-Katan Cries herself, Katie Sackhoff, where Justin had the chance to chat with them both and discuss their role in the larger Mandalorian story. So give all those episodes a listen right here on your podcast service of choice, or you can check those out on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. 2023 is rolling along, and it's only getting busier as we march forward. So stay tuned and keep tuning in. But until next time, J-Law, Nate, thanks for joining me. And as we say, love ya. Get home safe, guys. Peace. Peace.